Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Send It With Steph. I'm Steph Fleck, your host, and I'm so excited to share the guest of today's show. She is someone very near and dear to my heart. She has 48 World Cup starts, and 26 of those are top 30s. She has had three World Championship starts, two Olympic starts, where she came 15th in both the Olympic downhill and the Olympic alpine combined. She's the World Junior Downhill Champion of 2017, and she is one of the faces of Spider. If you haven't guessed who it is by now, I am ashamed because this is my favorite person, Her name is Alice Merriweather, and she's going to talk to us about her World Cup success and dealing with an eating disorder. So here we go. Okay, so here we have Alice Merriweather. I'm so excited to have her on my podcast because we've been really good friends for a long time now, and I've always looked up to her, even though we're very similar ages. I think she's always been someone, it's true, (laughs) don't laugh. You are. I've always always looked up to you even when we were like little kidlets in norams so um i guess do you have anything to say to the podcast before i harass you with questions <laughs> i'm excited to be here um yeah you and i have known each other since i strongly disliked you for beating me at a <laughs> panorama super g noram way oh, back in the day my God. and then you talked to me that same week and i was like oh damn it, she's really nice <laughs> It's just the truth. I couldn't just. I forced you to hang out with me. I forced (laughs) all of you American girls to be friends with me. (laughs) And I'm very glad you did. Um, so let's get right into this so that you can get to PT. But my first kind of segueing into you is, did you play any sports growing up other than skiing? And like, do you think that that kind of helped you become successful in skiing? Definitely. I, uh, when I was little, I played anything my mom would sign me up for, um, which was soccer, softball. I think I did figure skating for two years. Um, I rode horses for like five or six years, but soccer was definitely my main sport other than skiing. Played that from kindergarten all the way through high school and I think that was super helpful for cross training just finding joy in sports um having an outlet other than skiing for all my energy um and just all of the benefits that soccer gives you like it's great cardio training great kind of proprioception and hand-eye coordination training um so it's kind of a cool way to to train without feeling like you're training for skiing I get that and uh I think it was a great a great outlet for me I never played soccer which is probably why I'm not as good at you as you at skiing so (laughs) (laughs) uh I beg to differ but (laughs) um that's cool I feel like soccer is a very common skier sport even though they're both winter sports aren't they no soccer at least I don't know I'm from Massachusetts and we played soccer spring and fall I missed the whole like indoor winter season which as I got older my coaches were pretty unhappy about but um our like real competition season was spring and fall thankfully that's so fun so you did that all the way through high school 
Yeah, SMS. Uh, the ski academy I went to had a team every Wait, fall. That's so, so fun. I played for for the high school. Yeah, I feel like you see that a lot at the academies too. Like I know at Burke and like GMBS, they do a lot of soccer. It seems or lacrosse maybe. Yeah, I played lacrosse for SMS in the <laughs> springs for two years, and then I hated it, so I played tennis for junior and senior year. But um, it was nice that SMS kind of had all these options for us yeah. to play sports in the spring and fall that were not our yeah, winter sport. Yeah, that is sport. so nice. <laughs> um, so kind of going into skiing now, what do you think was your most pivotal moment in your career so far? I like that you had so far. <laughs> well, you know, you're not done. Oh my gosh, you're so young. <laughs> and we know you're going to come back. Like, this is just a speed bump. Oh, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say most pivotal moment, I think, was 2017 World Juniors. Yeah. Um, yep, <laughs> you were there. <laughs> or a, um, that was kind of what I think really made me a speed skier when I won the downhill there uh it was not something I expected but it definitely like at that point I was still skiing all four events to some extent I definitely you know dropped off on the slalom mm-hmm. skiing a little bit but was still racing it and to then win that downhill and go to world cup finals for yeah. downhill and uh I think that just kind of catapulted me onto the speed skiing track more than I had expected. I think that, uh, I would say I'm an accidental speed (laughs) skier. I didn't really intend to do this. I mean, uh, you did win. You won the Norm downhill title that year. So I wouldn't say it's accidental. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. But, uh, I think that was really, really what pushed me onto this path. So I'd say that was the most pivotal so far. far. Yeah. I still remember you crying the night before you had to decide if you were going to world cup finals. And we were all like, Alice, are you nuts? Get out of here. Leave all the world juniors for us peasants. Get off the world World cup finals. That was so funny. Yeah. That was I made that way more stressful than it needed yes. to be. <laughs> I mean, it seemed it seemed like you really wanted to go, but at the same time, you were so torn because it was your last World Juniors, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a yeah. lot. That's a stressful and, time. I mean, World Juniors is... Yeah. World Juniors is such a fun, unique experience, too, that, like, I didn't want to miss out on the rest of having that. But at the same time, yeah, it was still the only world cup finals I've been to. So I'm glad I chose yeah. to go And there. it was at, in the U S um, right. It was in, mm-hmm. yeah. it was in Aspen. So that made it That's, extra yeah. special. That was really cool. It was really fun to watch you at that, <laughs> but it was sad. You had to leave. <laughs> Got dead last, but you know, <laughs> it was for the yeah, experience. I mean, still a very joyful yeah. experience. I got asked by, um, Tina Vi rather if I was foreign <laughs> and I had to tell her like no I'm competing against oh my you. god it's okay they still ask me if I'm foreign yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> oh um okay so you kind of said that was like the turning point for you where you stopped you stopped skiing majority of the events and you kind of went fully into speed and was that really tough because you used to crush GS too like I'm sure that was a really it was a hard decision, I'm sure. 
Yeah, I would say it wasn't even much of a decision. It was just kind of like the speed team was like, okay, you're on the speed team mm-hmm. now. So you will do whatever <laughs> they're doing. And that meant a lot less GS. It meant the occasional day of slalom training just for combines. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it, it bummed me out a little bit because I love GS. I think GS might honestly be my favorite event to ski it's a toss-up between that and super g so kind of losing a lot of that was a bummer for me and i i want to still i don't know i hope that i can bring my gs back and i would love to race more world cup gs sometime in the future and kind of be gs and speed if uh if i can figure out how to make that work do you okay this is totally just me thinking but do you think you would ever after everything that's happened recently and like this is a big injury for you do you think that you would ever try to start back into gs first before because you went straight back into speed like i saw you on snow and you were you were right back in there (laughs) and you had just started skiing again so i that kind of makes me think like you were so good at gs would you think about just focusing on that more or you want to get right back to the world cup is that kind of your plan um I would love to say that I would ease in by starting with GS but my points are not good enough that I can just jump in do GS and then go race world cup like I would need to figure out how to step into that but whereas my speed points like I can go right back to world cup speed and so the plan would be kind of to go right back to world cup speed while also developing my gs a little bit more and hopefully going to some races to lower yeah. my points <laughs> so that i can get a couple norms maybe so. uh, <laughs> yeah exactly so maybe ease into it like by racing yeah. norams before any world cup speed but wow yeah that uh has a multi-step process because the GS points are not there. True. I do forget about points a lot and can honestly say starting last in a world cup is a little disheartening, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but (laughs) I know I finished last as well. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Um, do you, so you were saying your speed points are really good, obviously, because you've had multiple top thirties. And do you think that there's anything that kind of switched for you when you started getting top 30s in world cup that helped you like consistently get them because over three years I mean you had 26 top 30s I don't know if you know this but (laughs) I'm a bit of a stalker (laughs) like you crushed that for not a lot of time on the world cup circuit and not a lot only 48 world cup starts like that is a very good ratio (laughs) (laughs) thank you um I don't know that there was anything that like just that a switch flipped or anything. I think for me, it was all about building confidence and actually believing that I belonged on the world cup. I think for my first few seasons where I was still kind of on development team and dabbling in world cup, I had a lot of imposter syndrome where I'd show Mm -hmm. up to world cups and be like, I don't belong here. Like, I'm just here for experience and didn't truly believe that I I should be there or that I could get in the yeah. top 30. And then once they put me on the World Cup team and I realized that I could train competitively with 
with some of the best in the world, then I started actually believing that I belonged there. And along with that confidence came the results because I felt more comfortable to ski the way I knew how instead of be a little bit more tentative and and not ski as comfortably or confidently as I oh, could. That's really cool that you gained confidence first just by training with your teammates. Cause I think it's very common for girls when they end up in a competitive training situation, they get very like, they get very weird. And I don't understand because like you just said, that is so cool to know, like you're getting to train with Lindsey Vaughn and Jackie and all those girls. So you have to know if you're skiing fast with them, you're going to race fast. Yeah. It was really special having like Lindsay and Julia mm. and Stacy for my first few years easing into the speed team. Like Stacy would challenge me to like candy bar yes. races all the time in training. And we'd just pick a run and, and that would be our race between the two of us. And so it was things like that, that even I would lose to Stacy like nine mm. out of 10 times, but it was still really fun to kind of light that yeah. fire and know that she saw me as a competitor enough to challenge me to those races. And um, I think that that really built me up. And also, yeah, having Lindsay as a mentor, having Loren as a mentor, like we spent a lot of time together and I learned a lot about how to handle the pressure of the World Cup yeah. from them. That is so cool. I really like that you said that. Um, okay. We're going to shift away from skiing a little bit because while you are a badass athlete and you've done some unreal stuff, you've also battled some other really challenging stuff with your eating disorder. And you've spoken very publicly about it over the last year. And it's been, I think, very inspirational and something that a lot of young girls can look up to. So, um, was there like an initial trigger that kind of sparked your thoughts that maybe you like started kind of the eating disorder path? Yeah. Um, I've been dealing with a lot of body image issues for years before the eating disorder really took hold. Um, it seemed like every spring I would come out of the season and I would be really hard on myself about you know, oh, you just travel around Europe, you ate rich foods and, mm -hmm. you know, would just kind of feel crappy about myself and, and blame it on the way that I had been eating, even though I was eating as yeah. an athlete, like <laughs> just trying to maintain strength and, and fuel myself properly during a, a pretty hectic competition season. But over the years, that kind of got worse and worse. I started dealing with some stomach issues where different foods were setting me off. And I, I just kind of spiraled where I started overthinking food more and more Then spring of 2020 mm -hmm. COVID hit. And that just kind of added that extra layer of stress. I was taking a lot of classes and I think it was just kind of a perfect storm of a lot of stresses that that came together that spring after the the 2019-2020 season and yeah that spring i i found like the only the only way that i believed i could find control in my life was by controlling what i ate and restricting what i ate and so it was kind of 
kind of that perfect storm that started yeah. everything. I think COVID was a crazy thing for athletes who are so used to having a plan and so used to knowing what's going to happen every couple seconds of the day. So yeah. And like you said, your, your control, like we're so used to controlling everything that that's really tough. Um, yeah, did, I know we kind of talked about this like on our own, but it's not, people don't generally associate eating disorders with downhill skiers because there's this huge stigma that downhill skiers are so big and they just like, they want to be really heavy and yeah, maybe that's true for the sport, but you're still a like female. <laughs> like We still have to live in this society. Yeah. That's like, um, I don't know, putting tiny girls on a pedestal. So I, yeah, I think that, yeah, it's very, it was, it's, it's a very, awkward. it's a very weird yeah. dichotomy of like <laughs> your coaches and the idea of, of speed skiing is telling mm-hmm. you one thing, like Alpine girls always eat dessert. Like speed skiers are big. Like I got told multiple times I was like, you know, I'd say, Oh, I'm on the downhill <laughs> team. And they'd be like, you're small. Yes. Here. It's <laughs> like, what? Like, I feel like I'm huge. And then you have society telling you yeah. you're huge. You know, like I got that idea from comparing myself to other people and Instagram not models and thinking, <laughs> yeah, I am yeah. way too big. Like I am so much bigger than 95% mm-hmm. of other women. And like, I, I don't want to feel this way. And so kind of believing that I was too big and then hearing that I was too small, it's a very, very strange place to be. And yeah, speed skiers, I think that kind of the widely talked about kind of trope of an alpine girl and especially of a speed skier of like, it's speed week, get on the speed diet, like eat more, eat Mm -hmm. a lot of dessert. Like those kinds of things left me feeling very confused. Well, naturally. And there's also so many different types of athletes. Like there are the ones that want, that can put on so much weight and so much muscle quickly. And then there's people more like you and me who <laughs> we can work out as much as we want. Like there's, there's nothing happening to these legs, <laughs> which yeah, we're just not exactly. built that way. And I think I totally, yeah, it's, it's a very weird world that, yeah. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's not talked about enough how athletes come in all shapes and sizes and skiers come in all shapes and sizes. Like there is not one body type that does better than another on the world cup. If you look around and actually like pay attention to the different bodies that are doing well in sport, like there is a huge range. And yet we still talk about like, nope, speed skiers have to be big. No, (laughs) (laughs) it seems, it seems silly. I fully agree. (laughs) Um, so how did your treatment process go kind of I'm thinking more like mentally, I know that you're healing really well physically, but I guess more mentally, like, are you, was it hard to deal with managing the eating disorder treatment as well as kind of it being the middle of the ski season? Because I know like you love to ski and I know you love to compete. So I imagine that was a very hard balance to find. Like, I want to get better, but I want to get back fast. Yeah. I mean, especially while I was in treatment and doing therapy, you know, 10 Mm -hmm. hours a day in 
a high rise in Denver. <laughs> like I felt so removed from the sport mm. and it was really heartbreaking. Mm. But at the same time, like, I mean, at first I thought, you know, I'm going to be here for two weeks and then I'm going to bust out. I'm going to go right over to Europe and I'm going to make it work. And it kind of took the first two weeks of treatment to realize like, oh, it doesn't actually happen like that. That's not how mm. this works. And I need, if I want to get back to skiing, I need to put in the time mm -hmm. here and actually do this treatment and recovery right so that I can actually go back to skiing and, and compete the way that I want to. Um, so I ended up being there, yeah, six weeks and, and slowly got used to the idea that committing to treatment and taking the time that I needed was gonna benefit me in mm -hmm. the long run. Um, plus the times that I had skied before going to treatment, I kind of yeah. hated it. I was so in my head and so low on energy that skiing was really hard and really brutal. So I didn't really enjoy yeah. it at all. And by going to treatment, I knew I was going to hopefully be able to rekindle that love. And so when I got out of treatment, I ended up free skiing like five days a week out here in Utah. I would just go to Deer Valley after going mm -hmm. to the gym. And I forgot that you can ski for as long <laughs> as you want. You can take as many runs as you want. You can go into the yes. lodge if you want. Like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's not structured when I go out and just have fun and fell in love with the sport all over again, just by, by going and free skiing and kind of reconnecting with that side of the sport, not the training and racing thing. Yeah. And I ended up watching most of the races. I think once I realized that I was where I needed to be by taking time off, then I was okay with the idea of watching the races and, and felt great cheering for my teammates from afar, no matter how hard it was to to see a race and think, oh, I could be yeah. there right now. But um, it was it was very important for me to find love for the sport again and take the time that I needed. And eventually I came around to understand yeah. that. I, I don't know if I ever told you this, but from the day that I saw you before you went to treatment to like a couple weeks in, there was a huge shift in just the way you were talking about things, like the way you we're kind of accepting what was going on the way you talked about life and skiing. Like it was totally different over just a couple of weeks. So you could definitely see the shift happen because I'm sure at first it was very like striking <laughs> that all of a sudden you were being removed, but then you, you did come to it, an understanding of it quite quickly. And it was, I mean, it was visible to see and hear what you were saying. So, <laughs> I mean, it worked. It's amazing. What I, Ten hours of therapy, seven days. You worked hard. I mean, that stuff doesn't just happen, and <laughs> it's not something that athletes yeah. are very open to talk about. And I think you've done an amazing job of sharing a very vulnerable story. And I know that it's not been easy to talk about all the time, but I think that, like you know, we need to bring more attention to this type of stuff. I mean, I've been very vocal about mental health um, stuff, but it's been really good to see you be so vocal about different disorders and body dysmorphia and that type of stuff, because athletes are kind of shy about that. I think we don't want people to think that we like struggle with stuff. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think kind of the athlete trope is that we're strong and just kind of push mm-hmm. through and, you know, because we work out all the time and compete, like we're all super happy with our bodies or feel comfortable <laughs> with that kind of thing. It's, it's still very stigmatized to talk about struggling, especially with eating or with yeah body dysmorphia like that is not a conversation Mm -hmm. that we have in in skiing and I think in other like more aesthetic sports more judged sports that conversation is starting Mm -hmm. to happen like gymnastics figure skating I know eating disorders have been addressed a little bit more there not not nearly enough but it's funny that in skiing yeah, the idea is, is so much like, oh, it's a gravity <laughs> sport. So like you guys love eating and are happy with that. Um, yeah, it doesn't get talked about that. No, like, it's hard. It's, <laughs> it can be really uncomfortable. And I mean, we're in spandex mm-hmm. suits. Like they are very <laughs> revealing. And guess what? Not everyone is comfortable being in a skin tight <laughs> suit. No. Um, I think it's kind of crazy that given the outfit that we wear to do our sport that we don't talk about that a little bit more. I totally agree. I think there's also a lack of education for coaches and counselors and parents of ski racers to kind of understand like how to help or how to, how to not trigger kids. Cause I've had so many coaches over the years, like I've lost weight and then I start skiing well for one race and it's oh my God, you're doing so well now that you've dropped a couple pounds or like, oh, you look a little bit bigger now. <laughs> like, that's not something a female athlete really ever wants to hear. I mean, there are certain people that are totally okay with that, but I generally don't want my male coaches talking about my body unless it's in like a conducive way. That's like, okay, this is how we're going to help you fix this. <laughs> but I don't think that results are correlated to your body type. I mean, everyone has different perfect bodies. So yeah, (laughs) exactly. Like everyone's set weight and size is different and everyone is shaped differently. So I think that the conversation about, yeah, that perfect skier body type or even for coaches or the media to talk about someone's body shape and size or weight is just unnecessary because everyone's going to operate to their like optimal performance at a different shape and size. Like we don't need to be hearing like, oh, okay. And now we've got Alice Merriweather on course weighing (laughs) in it, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, like why not talk about the function like oh see how powerfully she can generate mm-hmm. speed like yeah. awesome you don't need to say look at how big her legs are so <laughs> she can uh propel down the mountain like it's just unnecessary you know size is not something that actually needs to be part of the conversation no. it's all it should be all about yes. function i actually mm-hmm. yeah. relating to this at the last race in saint moritz the commentators were talking about how strong breezy was and how she's like so strong she's not lacking strength anywhere and i mean i don't know what you're gonna say but i thought it was good (laughs) 
I okay, so I oh, also <laughs> watched that and I heard no, I heard them say that she's really strong, but I also heard a comment that said, like, look how strong she is. She's uh, really big. And I thought, okay. like, okay, <laughs> you got the strong part. Rick. But the fact that I heard the word yeah. big being mentioned, like then it brought it went away from yeah. function and it went into the size category. And that definitely irked me because yeah. They were I know. So Maybe close. I got I got blinded by the strong comment. Like I got, I was like, oh my god, <laughs> we're changing. <laughs> Look at that male commentators <laughs> focusing on the function of someone's body. Uh, yeah, it was a step in the right direction. Yeah. But like okay, just, you didn't need the help. Yes, no, I I agree. Um, <laughs> okay, well to wrap this up because I feel like you and I could talk for actual hours on here about everything and anything. <laughs> Um, this is in the same area as kind of bringing attention to different disorders, but are there any cues that you've learned during treatment or post-treatment that have really helped you, um, stay on track and just like remind yourself of the positives that you'd be willing to share? Yeah, I think kind of along the lines of what we want the conversation to be about is internally I found that if I focus on the function of my body and not the appearance and not how I see it then I can kind of push through those moments of doubt where I'm like nope I'm too big right now then I think wait a minute think about what your legs can do for you think about what this body your home does for you and by finding gratitude for the mm -hmm. function of you know whatever body part is bothering me or whatever I'm feeling sad about because unfortunately it still happens a lot if I can recenter and and shift the conversation going on in my head away from the appearance and the size to the function and to feeling grateful for what it does for me then I find that I feel a lot more comfortable in my skin and and that's been huge in my recovery and it it still is because I still definitely go through a lot of moments of of doubt and frustration so it's all about gratitude for what my body what my home yes. does for me acceptance the acceptance moment oh well thank you so much Alice this has mm -hmm. been so fun for me and I'm sure there's going to be so many people who love your insight and just are rooting for you to get back I mean I can't wait to have you back <laughs> <laughs> oh I miss you I miss you a lot I, I miss know. skiing I miss everyone misses you the world cup circuit uh, I'll be you. cheering for you all winter. thank you well I will let you sign off good luck this thank weekend you. enjoy France I'm gonna <laughs> Thank you so much for listening this week. If you like this podcast and you want to hear more guests and other speakers, make sure to tune in each Thursday for new podcasts and I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.